children. Um, so we are in week two of our Fear Not Christmas series. Um, whenever I ask the Lord, Lord, what, what do you want me to, to preach about for Christmas? You know, Christmas is one of the hardest things to preach on because you've got to do it every year and <laughs> you've got to do it multiple weeks. And it's the same story. I mean, you know, nothing has changed. You know, he was born, and all the, I mean, nothing has changed about that story. But what's, be- what's beautiful about the, about the Word of God is that the Word of God is living. It's not just dead uh, letters on a page. It's not just dead letters. It's living Word of God. And so we can take this Word of God, and we can apply it to our lives. And there's so many different angles that we can, that we can take, uh, even the story like Christmas. And so when God... Uh, put it in my heart. I want you to. I want you to uh, talk about fear not, because you you look at the word uh, fear not. We are, we see those words over and over again in this Christmas story. Uh, last week we talked about how the angels showed up to Mary, and uh, this huge mighty angel, not a little small naked bald baby angel. All right, uh, this mighty warrior angel shows up to Mary, and uh, Mary um, is fearful of that, and so the angel says, "Fear not." Uh, well, we're going to have three stories that we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about um, how, the, um, how the angels showed up at uh, the shepherds. But today we're going to talk about Joseph. Last week uh, we mentioned the fact that we're, uh, one of the things we fear sometimes is what God is asking us to do. Sometimes we fear what God is asking us to do. And here's the reason why. Because we think all the responsibility of the outcome is all on us. When actuality, you know the only thing that you and I have to do? When God calls us to do something, the only thing we have to do is obey. That's it. The obedience is our part. The outcome is God's part. Okay? Let's say if you fail in what God wants you to do in the eyes of man. Well, that's God's outcome. But of course, according to God, that's not a failure because he's got, he's got a continuous story he's trying to write in your life. And so a lot of times we fear that failure. We fear of what God is asking us to do, fall flat on our face of what, um, you know, what we could be facing. Well, today I'm going to talk about um, the fear of what people think about us. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 1. And we also have it on the screens. And we have it on the YouVersion Bible app. And I believe you have notes there uh, in, your, uh, in your bulletin that you could take notes and feel free to take those home. Because here's what I know about today's message. Today's message is going to speak directly to you. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that today's message has some truth in here, some principles that we have maybe either, either forgotten or that we have never uh, involved in our lives. And so what people think about us is something that a lot of times, a lot of us really worry about. So let's just, just for uh, raising hands, how many of y'all honestly can say sometimes you, you worry about what people think? Come on, it's okay. Right. Those people who don't have your hands raised, you're worried about what people will think about you <laughs> if you raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, but we all have this uh, sort, of, uh, sort of thought of what, what others will think about us. And so the reality is at one level or another, 
all of us are very concerned. Like, what, what kind of car do we drive? What, what do we wear? Okay, what kind of, what kind of job? What kind of, um, what kind of friends? Um, do, do people think I'm funny? You know, how is this Instagram, you know, picture? Should I, should I do it up high? That's too, I have two chins if I do that. If I do it down here, I have four chins. You know, we have all of these. What do people think about us? And I'll tell you, social media has taken this concept of this fear of what people will think about us and has multiplied it to the nth degree. Social media has. Because let's face it, Facebook and social media is really for the good stories, right? The good things, all right? I mean, sometimes we'll put things like, oh, pray for me or hey, I'm, I'm having a bad day. But most of the time it's like, man, look what, look what happened to me, you know, or, 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 or look what I was able to, uh, to do, or look, look what exciting things happened in our life, or look what my kids have done. And especially with kids, man, we really uh, like to put our kids on that pedestal there at social media. And so we become easily obsessed with what others think about us. And in this week's story, uh, we're going to watch Joseph battle with the opinions of people. I didn't know, I don't know if you knew that, but he battled with the opinions of people. When he has to decide between doing what is easy and what is right, between what people would want him to do and between what God wants him to do. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? Trying to decide, you have that struggle and, and, and you know God wants you to do something, but you're, you're concerned about what people will think. I tell you, if there's one group that really faces this more, it's teenagers. Teenagers just trying to figure themselves out. So teenagers, this message really is, 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 some that is a message that really is for you as well. So I want you to listen, listen up today because you will get some things here that will help you walk into your life um, with more freedom as we get to this. But let's talk a little bit about Joseph and Mary's uh, engagement. Now, in, in Jewish tradition, an engagement was pretty serious. It's very serious. Uh, obviously, I mean, not that an engagement nowadays in American culture isn't serious because it is serious. I mean, you, you get engaged and you wait about a year or, or however long that, that time is, and then you prepare for your wedding, and it's a beautiful, awesome thing. You know, but let's just say if you're engaged, and during that engagement period, the person you're engaged to, like, changes. Like, Dr. Heckle, Mr. Hyde, and it's, it's like, a completely opposite person, and, and there's things happening in your life, well, guess what? There's an out, right? You're not married yet. You're like, dude, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're thinking, but, uh, but this is not the person that I want to marry. And you can get out. In Jewish culture, if you're engaged, you have to get a divorce in order to get out of that engagement. And in fact, if, if, if two people we're engaged back in Jewish time in culture. If you are engaged and if one person dies, guess what? That other person that, that, that is here on this earth, that's left on this earth, is considered a, a widow or a widower because they were engaged. So engaged is pretty serious. And so if you broke that engagement, the only way you could do that is if someone died or you get a divorce. And so it's a pretty serious thing. So with that in mind, we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. So let's read this verse um, uh, real quick. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, now we're going to stop right there. Now let's think about that just for a second. So imagine Mary's conversation. She, she has this, this angel who comes to her and uh, says, you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit. She has to sit down with the person she's engaged to and say, Joseph, um, I hope you're sitting down because I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And I can imagine Joseph's response to that. You're what? You're what? Obviously, it's not me. Who's a guy? But then she goes on to say, It's the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph has two options here. He he has a couple of options of saying, okay, either she's lying and she's kind of gone with another man and blaming it on the Holy Spirit like God told me to do this or whatever. So she's lying or she's crazy, right? She's crazy. And so uh, he has a couple of options to, to think about that. So if you think about Joseph's perspective, he's thinking that either a guy got her pregnant, or and, and if he goes through this engagement and gets married, and, and he, he chooses her, he's, he's going to uh, have other people think, well, you're, you're marrying someone who's already pregnant. So it's either your child or somebody else's child, and you're going to have to live with that. Or he divorces her, even when they're engaged. He divorces her, and he has to live with that. And having someone who, who's divorced someone back in that day, I mean, it affected their business. It affected their social life. I mean, what other father is going to give their daughter marriage to Joseph who divorced his wife? So Joseph is in a predicament here. He's in, he's, in, uh, he's in a situation where, man, what do I do? Have you ever been in that kind of situation? Not that the Holy Spirit got you pregnant. I'm not talking about that situation. But I'm talking about a situation where, where you're, you're sort of baffled. You're struggling with what to do in this situation. He says, like, no other choice you make, whatever choice you make, is going to be the wrong choice. It's going to make you Look bad. And so you begin to think about what other, other people will think about you. And so here's what Joseph decides. Joseph decides not to marry her. Joseph decides to divorce her. He's made that decision. He's decided to divorce Mary. You say, well, well Frank, hold on a second. Mary and Joseph, they stayed together. And they had Jesus. And, and they grew up in And they raised Jesus. Yes, but before that, Joseph decided to bail out on Mary. Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Uh, Biblical scholars say that this was actually a very noble thing to do because Joseph could have said, this woman is pregnant, I was engaged to her, and this child is not mine, and so according to Jewish law, she must be stoned. He could have done that, and she could have been stoned to death. But Joseph, who really loved Mary, obviously, decided to divorce her quietly and not to expose her to public disgrace. And so he wanted to do that with honor. 
And so, but here's what Joseph's about to learn. He is about to learn a very, very important lesson. And this is a principle, one of the principles I want you to understand today is this. And here it is. He's going to learn that pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Now, you may say, well, how, how did Joseph disappoint people? Joseph was faced with a situation. He, I'm sure, had family who found out she was pregnant. Friends who found out Mary was pregnant. And they said, you, you, need, to, uh, you need to divorce her. You need to, you need to uh, put her in, in, in front of the, uh, the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law. And they need to judge her on that. But instead, he chose, he chose to please God. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Now here's where we get that in verse 20. But after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. In a dream, so this is not a vision, this is in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, so in other words, fear not, fear not to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So, this angel appears to Joseph in a dream and confirms what Mary has said. So now, I'm sure when Joseph wakes up from this dream, he's like, whoa, that was, that was weird. But at least he's confirming what Mary is saying. So he's kind of excited because he gets to raise the Messiah because according to prophecy, the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah to come. And so the Messiah was here and he gets the opportunity to raise this Messiah, this Jesus. But what will people think? What will people think if I decide to stay with this girl? What would they think? Either it's my child and we've been sleeping around or Maybe it's somebody else's child, and I'm a, I'm a weakling for not standing up. What will people think? And so he's got this struggle, do I run away or do I obey God? Do I listen to what other people are telling me, friends and family, or do I obey God? And I can promise you, if you're a follower of Jesus at different points in your life, you're going to be confronted with opportunities to obey God or do something easier to win the approval of people. You're going to have the opportunity to either obey God or do something easier to please people for their approval. Y'all, we all face these struggles in our life. We face these struggles. And so... We fear what people think about us. We are obsessed with what others think about us. Well, here, 
Here's a couple of truths I want us to, I want, uh, principles I want us to look at. And these, these are huge. So if you're taking notes or write this down and it's in your notes. So let me share something with you. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Being obsessed with what others think about you, what people think about you, is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. If you're always concerned what others think, you're not even thinking about what God thinks about you, what God wants you to do, what God has in your life. You know, we surrender our lives to the opinions of people at the expense of actually living to please God. But the flip side of that is true as well. Here's the flip side. This is huge. This is going to free some of you up. But being obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Some of you need to hear that again. Some of you need to grasp that in your life. Becoming obsessed, always thinking. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. If you're, if you're like, God, I want to please you. If you're obsessed with what God thinks about you, how you are to please him, then what others think about you is going to dissipate. It's going to fall away. Some of you, and even us, hey, there, there are times in my life, there are days in my week where I get consumed by what I think what others may think about me. And so I live at the approval of others when I'm like, man, Frank, snap out of it. You are to please God. Some of you are living your life pleasing others, you're, and you don't even know it because you're so consumed what others are thinking about you, what you may wear, how you may look, what friends you have, what car you drive, where you live. Some of you are concerned with that. And let me tell you, when I was in junior high, I had stories after stories after stories of worrying about what people think about me. When my dad shows up because I'm sick at school and he shows up in overalls without a t-shirt on, I'm concerned about what other people think about me. When, when I'm a car rider and my, my mom drives up in a car and, there's, and it's fuming everywhere and it's it just uh, ca- causing carbon monoxide poisoning to the entire suited body, I'm concerned about what other people think about me. And I was in junior high. Awful time. Awful time. I tell my kids, you got it good. Because I could mess your life up. <laughs> but we, are, we live our lives sometimes pleasing others. Can I tell you something? You cannot please everybody in your life. You know that. You cannot please everybody in your life. So because whatever decision you make, it's going to please a few people. But other people are going to be mad. They're going to be, oh, he, you know, he didn't choose 
make this choice that benefited me or whatever. And so, especially if you're in, 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 in uh, leadership, even if it's just your parent, if you're a parent, you know you're not going to please your kids all the time. Make a decision, half our kids like it, half of them don't. We're like, hey, we don't care because this is how it's going to roll. But let me tell you something. You can't please everybody. Is it easier to please everybody or is it easier to please one person? One person. Can I tell you who that person is? God, your creator, the one who loves you. Now, you're going to mess up. You're going to fall, yes. But if you're living your life trying to please God and God alone, you don't, it doesn't matter what these people think. It doesn't matter what people think. And if, you can, and if you live your life obsessed with what God thinks about you, you're going to forget what others think about you. It'll set you free when you decide to live for an audience of one. So how do we live for God instead of people? How do we live for God instead of people? How does this play out into our daily lives? All right? So um, let, me tell you, let me tell you something that it, it is so true. And this is a powerful statement, an another powerful statement you're going to need for your life. Okay? Everybody listen carefully. Here it is. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. If you are not ready to be criticized, if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you are not ready to be used by God. You got a plan of being criticized, scrutinized, looked at, talked about. We'll go through some of these examples as we go on. But Mary and Joseph had critics. Think about all the, all the ways Mary and Joseph could have been criticized. I mean, they were, they were in public disgrace again and again. People would whisper around the corner, hey, here's that couple. Yeah, she's already pregnant. They're not even married. They're not even married. But they, but they could have done the easy thing, right? They could have said, you know, we're just going to walk away silently. Mary could, could just go off to another town, another part of the country. Maybe go stay with her cousin Elizabeth and, and, and have Jesus there. And uh, Joseph could have just quietly divorced her. And that would have been the easiest thing to do. His friends and family would have been happy. She would have been okay, even though he still, he still loves her. It, it, it's just sort of the easy thing to do. It's not going to upset the, the apple cart, you know? But that wasn't God's plan. God wanted them to obey, and they are going to be criticized for it. They're going to be criticized for it. You have critics. You will have critics. If, if God's word tells you to do something that is culturally unpopular, you're going to have critics. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're reading God's word and you're reading something and you say, well, God's word says I should do this, but that goes against what all my friends are doing. Students, listen up. This, this, is, this right here is for you. It's for everybody, but listen carefully. If God's word's telling you to do something, or someone in your life who's reading God's word, who knows God's word, like your pastor, okay, or others in your life, and they're telling you to do something, 
and it goes totally against what your friends are doing, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. You have party critics. Well, I, I, I really don't go to those parties because there, there's drinking and there's all kinds of prom- promiscuity happening in different parts of that house, and I'm not going to have a part of that. You're going to be criticized for that. You're going to be made fun of for that. Your, your uh, sexual purity. You know, I've decided, you say, well, according to God's word, I'm going to save myself for my partner, for my spouse, whoever that may be. You're going to be criticized for that. You're going to be criticized because guess what? All your friends are doing the complete opposite of that. Um, you, um, let's say if you decided, instead of going on a, on a spring break trip to the beach in college, you decided, say, hey, you know what? I, I'm going to go on a mission trip instead of going on a spring break. I'm going to go on a mission trip. Mission trip? What, are you, what is that? I mean, you're spending money to, you're not getting really anything out of it? You're not going to come with us? You're going to be criticized for that. Your financial critics, you're going to have, let's say if you, God's calling you to, uh, to uh, take maybe a, a lesser paying job in order, to, uh, in order to do something that God's called you to do, maybe to make a difference in the world, you're, you may have financial critics and say, man, what are you doing? You're messing up your finances. Or you're even going to have people who have your generosity critics. You say, you know what? I'm going to live within my means in order to have a generous heart. I'm going to live within my means in order to tithe. I'm going to, I'm not going to pay my electric bill first. I'm not going to pay my car, uh, car bill, my house. I'm going to I'm going to give to God my first increase, my first fruits. I'm going to write that check. I'm going to give that online tithe. And I'm going to do this and because this is what God in his word says to do. And it will help build my faith and my trust in him and my life. You're going to have critics. You're going to, have to say, well, you're, you're, you're putting your family in financial ruin. You will have people that will criticize you time and time again. I tell people all the time, the more you do, the more pain you'll experience. If you, if you want to make a difference in this world, you will endure more pain than those who don't. You will endure more pain than those who don't. Can I, can I tell you the easiest way not to have critics? Here's the easiest way not to have critics in your life. Do nothing. Do nothing. I mean, just kind of go on through life, right? Go on through life, and if you feel like God's, God's telling you to do something, maybe make a change in your life, a change in your relationships, a change, a change in, your, in, in, your, uh, uh, in your finances, a change in whatever that may be. If God's calling you to do that, and you say, ah, I really want to do that. I just want to, I just want to make, take the easy road. That is the best way to not have critics. But if you want to make a difference in your life, your life, in your kid's life, in your family's life, in your, in your world, in your community, for God's kingdom, you want to make a big splash, you want to make a difference in the world, then you will be criticized. You will be criticized. We've seen this time and time again in our personal life. Okay, Some, some, some people who criticize I mean, some of those critical remarks are, are bigger than others, all right? I mean, I, I've had people say, you have six kids? 
wow, don't you know what causes that? <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm not willing to give it up, you know what I'm saying? But some of you, some of you, some, some people come to us, some people come to us and they say, they say, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, you decided to homeschool your kids, okay? We've, we've homeschooled our kids before, okay? And pe- I have people say, yeah, it won't be long before you're going to be wearing denim skirts and making butter, <laughs> you know, because some homeschool people kind of have that, that sort of uh, thought about who they are and what they do. I say, man, bring on the butter. I love butter. I love a little more butter with my bread. Uh, we've had, and I've shared this uh, a little bit before too, when we uh, went through our adoption, when we adopted uh, three children from Ukraine, uh, we, had, we had some critics for that as well. Man, Frank, this is going to put financial ruin. This is going to bring financial ruin on your life. What are you going to do? How are you going to pay for this? So we had critics for that even after we adopted Yes, bringing in Russian spies, little children in our house, it could be a little bit crazy. Yes, but it's something God has called us to do. Church planting, planting this church. You're going to plant a church on a, you know, in a sports park? I mean, people who play sports on Sunday are ungodly. Why would you do that? Why would you reach those people? They don't need to come to church. They need to just die and go to hell. I've had people share that kind of opinion. Not many, but I've had people question us. What are you doing? And and we don't need another church here. We have plenty of churches. Yeah, if everybody in Bartow County became a Christian tomorrow, we would not have enough seats in our churches, nowhere near enough seats in our churches for those people. Um, and some people say, well, you're planting a church just seven miles down the road? You're planting a church just seven miles down the road? Why, why would you do that? Are, are you causing a church split? Is that what you're doing? Critics. Critics will come at you time and time again if you decide to do what God's called you to do. So, If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Because becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. But becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Here's thought number two. Thought number two is... uh, is this, extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Think about Mary and Joseph. You know, when the angel came to Mary and came to Joseph, it was an announcement. Boom, period. It, it could fit on Twitter. That's it. That's all you got. No details. No details. If I was Joseph, and it was, I mean, good thing the angel appeared to him in a dream. Because if it was a real conversation, Joseph probably wouldn't have been like, okay, hold on. I need details. 
I need to know how we're going to raise this son of God. I'm excited. I'm glad you chose us. But what does that mean? How, how do we raise him? How do we discipline him? How do you discipline the son of God? How do you spank the son of God? Maybe he needs to spank us because we're sinners. You know? I mean, how do you do that? What, what do we do? How do we raise this Jesus? There are no details. And, and you know, many times, you and I, when God wants us to do something, we want the details, don't we? We want the details. Okay, God, you wanted to do this. Okay, so how's this going to happen? When God called us to adoption, he put the seed of adoption in our heart and, and, and uh, confirmed that. And it's like, okay, God, what's the details? Silence. Silence. Nothing. Nothing. It's like being in the swamps of Louisiana on a Saturday night. Nothing but crickets. It's all you got. God, really? No details? Just an announcement. No details. But here's what God says to you. And to me, you can't handle the details. You can't handle the details. Not all at once. Not here. Because if I showed you everything, you would not take the first step. If you knew what you, what I'm calling you to do, and you knew all those steps, you'd be like, no way. No way. I'm out of here. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Imagine if if. If the angels would have told Mary all the details, oh, and by the way, you're going to watch your son be beaten and pierced, and you're going to watch this little baby as he's a man down the cross, a cruel death, and you can do nothing about it. Mary would have been like, oh, no, time out. You chose the wrong lady. I'm not doing this. That's why God doesn't share the details. That's why God doesn't share the details with what he wants you to do. We can't handle the details. I want to remind you of last week. Our responsibility is obedience. First step. Outcome is God's responsibility. The outcome is strictly God's responsibility. You know, we've seen this played out again in our, in our story of, a, of adoption. We, God said, walk out. We don't know the details. There's crickets. How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to communicate with them? How are we going to... Get around in our car. We have a car that's a, that's a seven-passenger. I mean, we need eight because it looks like we're adopting three kids. And, and as this thing's playing out and all these questions and all these fears, and it's like, God, just tell us the details. And he doesn't. But he says, just trust in me. Trust in me. Because what you don't know, Frank and Suzanne, is this. Your $32,000 of debt that you're getting is going to be completely paid for. What you don't know is that there's a Russian-speaking grandmother in your neighborhood in Uharli 
who is about to lose her job, and she's about to be in between jobs, and you don't know this yet, but she's going to come and knock on your door and, and, and say, how can I help you with your children? And to speak to them, help take them to the doctor, all this stuff, a Russian-speaking grandmother who has time to spend with us in your Harley, in our neighborhood. You don't know that, Frank. You don't know that there's, a, there's an eight-passenger vehicle that's about to be open to you that you're going to be able to purchase for a very, very, very small price, one of your family members. They don't need this big vehicle. You do. You don't know that. But just, just trust in me. Just trust in me. And so God, when God wants you to do something, he's not going to tell you all the details. But know this, your obedience sets things into motion. Because we stepped out on faith because we got on that plane and flew to Ukraine. And because we stepped out in, in, in obedience, and let me tell you something. If you really know sat down with this new adoption story. I'm not telling you this to, put, to pat ourselves on the back. There are some things about this adoption story that we freaked out about and we even said no to and we're just like, we can't do this. And so I'm not saying, hey, kudos to Frank and Suzanne because we struggled with this. And you're going to struggle with this. You're going to struggle with this. What would people think? And how is God going to provide? What is, what's in the details? But when your obedience, when you step out of obedience, it sets things in motion. There are three beautiful, incredibly bright, fun, energetic, new kids living in our house, all simply because we stepped out on faith. Same way with your life as well. When you're, you, could, you could be simple, just serving at a church. Serving at a church, you have no idea what you might impact, whose life you, that might be different just by you serving here at church. Okay, our, our students in our, in our children's area, they need, they need people, especially in our children's area. They need people who can, who can come alongside um, the leadership here at Lake Point Church and to, and to invest in the lives of these children. You don't know what your act of obedience will set into motion and in affecting people's lives. You don't know what your generosity will set into motion. Will set into motion. And let's say if you, and there, there are people here at Lake Point Church who've recently decided, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start giving. I'm just going to start somewhere. It, it, I'm scared. I'm, I'm afraid of this. But I just want to trust in, the, in God. And we applaud you on that. That is, a, that is a spiritual decision, not a financial decision. But one of these days, you're going to look back and, and years from now, and you're going to go, man, how God has provided. How God has provided. You may not be sitting in a $10 million mansion with a pool and a butler and a maid. You don't need all that stuff. How God has provided in so many ways, all because that one step, that first step of obedience, of generosity. There are people in our church who've decided, you know, we're going to foster a child. That's scary. Foster a child. 
We're going to bring them just that one step of, of obedience. And, and years down the road, they're going to look back and say, wow, what that did to our family. How we affected this child. It's amazing. What God has done just by that one step of obedience will set into motion amazing things. Some of you could be here living single. If you're a single guy and you, and you meet, a, meet a, a single girl at church or at a Christian function and you're, you're not really sure, you know, you know what to do with that, but, but you're kind of, you know, playing it cool or whatever and you're not really going after that or, or that sort of thing. But can I tell you, you need to get off your single butt and get out of your single mom's basement and uh, sell your Xbox and uh, brush your teeth, iron your clothes, you know, and, and uh, take care of yourself and go and, and, and ask this girl out and get on with your life. And then as you get on with your life, you're going to marry her, and then you're going to have kids, and you're going to name one of those kids Frank because Frank decided to talk to you one day in church about you getting off your single butt and getting into your life because God has great things for you, and you're scared sometimes. You're scared. What would people think? I don't know. Is this the right person? I don't know. God's not, God has the details. He's not going to tell you what those details are. So, the angel, as we wrap this up, the angel comes to Joseph in a dream. And he says, fear not. Do not be afraid. King James Version says, fear not. Fear not, Joseph. Fear not. He had a choice to make. You have a choice to make. What was Joseph's response? We find this in in, uh, verse 24. Same chapter, Matthew 1, 24. It says this. When Joseph woke up from his dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. As his wife. Simple. Single act of obedience, that step of faith, that single act of obedience set into motion and brought together the most famous family in all history, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And along came other brothers and sisters. But Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, the most famous family throughout history. All because Joseph says, you know what? I don't care what other people think because I'm going to consume my time. I'm going to be obsessed with what God thinks and not what others think of me. So what's your response? Will you respond just like Joseph? Could your response be something like, and you did what the Lord prompted you to do? That's what it says Joseph did. Joseph did what the angel prompted him to do, what the Lord had prompted him to do. Will you say that about yourself? And I did what the Lord prompted me to do. Some of you know what you have to do. Some of you know what you have to do. Some of you know the changes in your life that have to be made. 
Some of you know you've got to fix some relationships. You've got to go back and mend some relationships. Some of you know you've got to start living a more uh, of a righteous life, a, a life of purity, and get rid of that filth in your life. Some of you know you've got to start taking more control of your finances. And the best way to have more control of your finances is actually to release control to God by giving to Him first and foremost. You never know what your single act of obedience is going to set into motion in your life and in other people's lives. Do you want to be different? Do you want to align yourself with the heart of God and be so obsessed with His will, His purpose, His kingdom, His plan, His goodness, and His direction for your life? There are people here today, it's like, you know, Frank, I've been disobedient. I know what God's telling me to do, and I've not taken that step of obedience. And then there are some here today, it's like, you know what, Frank, I've never taken that main set of step of having Jesus come into my life, be Lord of my life. As we close, I'm going to close. Let's have a time of prayer. Every-